Welcome back to the Fostering Financial Victories podcast. My name is Eric. I'm your co-host with Bree Prosser, and uh, we are joined today by Jonathan McAdams. So kind of a timely uh, discussion, something we booked really about four months ago, put on the calendar, had no idea what would be going on in the world when we did that. Um, so it feels like it needs to be one of those, hey, we interrupt your uh, you know regularly scheduled plan. But Jonathan, thanks for, for taking time out of your day. I know you got a lot bouncing around. The goal of today is really to kind of talk through what's going on in the market. Um, originally, we had planned to go through more of like a halfway point of the year and update things. I think most people probably want to know, all right, what's what's going to happen uh, today or tomorrow or what had happened yesterday? So um, again, thanks for taking some time. My pleasure. So where do you want to start? Um, yesterday was a fun, interesting day to, to watch take place. Um, the day before was a little bit better. So it's like, where do you where do you think we should kick this off at? Yeah, no, I think it's, you know, I think it's endemic of the market we've been in, which is a volatile market, because whenever there's uncertainty in the environment, in the economy, in companies, the market's going to move quite a bit. It can move up big one day and down big one day because there's just we're in an information vacuum, a little bit of people trying to grapple with what's next. So seeing these big moves is not unusual, particularly in market pullbacks. You're going to see that higher volatility. That's just kind of par for the course. Um, So I wouldn't put any you know, too much stock in any kind of one-day move. I think what you did see yesterday um, is endemic of kind of what we're seeing kind of broader, broadly speaking, um, in the sense of you had um, the day before you had Walmart come out and lower guidance, um, and then you had Target that morning come out and do the same. Both stocks were down double digits um, by quite a bit. And what they're saying is, look, um, We've got, you know, we don't have a demand problem. You know, we're, we've got people coming in the store. Our revenues are fine, but we're having trouble managing our costs, right? We've got high inflation. We had, you know, energy costs and shipping costs and everything kind of surprise us, you know, uh, quickly during the quarter. And so we've got to adjust and try to manage those costs, uh, but we need to take down our earnings numbers. And so the stocks come in. And I think that's, you know, that's a microcosm, I think, of what's happening in the market, which is, um, you know, corporate-wide, company-wide, firm-wide, you know, economy-wide, um, how much is inflation biting into profit margins, and then and potentially, ultimately, demand. We don't know the demand side yet, because so far, what we're hearing is demand is fine, um, or relatively fine, right? Airlines came out this quarter and said, we've got record bookings. Cisco came out today. It's down double digits. Um, and they said, we've got record orders. You know, we, our demand is fine. We can't get the supplies and the chips and the everything else. And so our margins are going to compress and we got to lower our guidance. So that's what you're seeing in, in the company. And so the market's trying to wrestle with what's the right earnings number based on all of these inflation and interest rates and, and, and demand factors. So what do you think the biggest elephant in the room is likely going to going to be? Is it is it inflation? Is it interest rates? Is it uh, earnings? Like if you had to look at one thing to focus on, and maybe that's not fair to say, but what do you think that's, what do you think the biggest one that we should be thinking about? Yeah, I think it's, in a sense, they're all kind of interrelated. So I wouldn't say, I don't think you can take anyone in isolation, right? Because interest rates are tied to what inflation is doing, right? And and then both of those tie into what ultimately earnings. So they're, they're kind of interconnected. But I would say the one thing, you know, everyone's, you know, on everyone's mind and, and probably the leading indicator is going to be inflation. You know, okay. that's what, um, you know, that's what's driving these higher costs for companies. That's what's forcing the Fed to respond like they are, which is raising rates. They want to, they want to get inflation under control. Um, and 
you know, the only tool they have to do that is with, with interest rates. Um, and so you are seeing inflation, you know, move to, to 40 year highs. You know, that's not a surprise to anyone at this point. Um, you know, beginning of the year, yes. Um, but you are starting to see, so that's what we're watching closely. You are some analysts, and I would argue, you know, we may be getting close to peak inflation, uh, meaning we've seen some of the highs. Um, you know, the last report, both in consumer prices and producer prices, have come off the boil a little, a little bit. Um, you know, too soon to say whether, you know, we're headed back down. Um, and if you look at things like commodity prices and some of those things, you know, they've all peaked kind of earlier in the year and they've come off a little bit, you know, from their highs. And so you know, think about inflation. Inflation is just what's the change in price year over year, right? So unless prices keep going higher and keep going higher, you know, if they level out or even come in, eventually you're going to get inflation to roll over. So, um, so that's what everyone's watching. That's what the Fed is watching. And that's going to determine the pace that the Fed goes based on how sticky that inflation is. So, you know, I would say we're not, you know, we're not out of the woods. I think inflation may be stickier for a while because because so much of it is supply uh, related, meaning we have lockdowns in China, which is gumming up the supply chain. We have, um, you know, uh, you know, just we have backlogs and chips and everything else. You know, some of it COVID related, some of it just higher demand. Um, but that that's going to take longer to fix. Um, and so inflation may be more elevated for a while. But the nice thing, like I said, the the more volatile end of that, the commodity end of that, which is more subject to kind of real time pricing, you're starting to see some relief in pressure. You know, it's not, you know, we're not going back to the, back to the lows, but you've it's come off the boil a little bit. So you mentioned a lot in that um, with the Fed, with what they've been doing and talking about with interest rates, they've seemed to change their tune a, a good bit over the last two or three months. What do you feel like they're going to stick with? Yeah, you've seen a, a ch- you know, the Fed had to pivot pretty hard, right? They've gone from, um, you know, kind of end of last year to saying, yeah, we're seeing higher inflation, but it's transitory, right? They kept using that transitory word, you know, meaning, yeah, we got a little short-term spike because demand is high and we've got some COVID, you know, and so now they've gone to, now they've quote unquote gotten religion and said, okay, inflation is, is much stronger and higher than we thought. So we are going to fight it. Um, and so um, he's been you know, very straightforward in saying we are going to raise rates until we see inflation go down. Right. And, you know, I think people overanalyze the Fed. The Fed analysis is fairly easy. They have two mandates, right? They have stable employment and stable prices. Um, right now we have very, very tight uh, employment markets. Um, you know, whether you look at job openings, wages going up. So, you know, almost maybe to the point of being too tight. Um, you know, we just can't, people can't find workers. They, you know, it's just a very difficult labor market, but it's very tight. Unemployment is very low. So they're, they're not concerned with that part, right? The one part of their mandate, they're saying, we're good. We're actually maybe even need to, you know, untighten it a little bit. Um, so their other mandate is, okay, inflation. So they are going to go, they're going to put the pedal down until they can get the inflation numbers down. At some point, if inflation comes in and we start to see, you know, unemployment go higher, you know, whether, we, whether it's a, a slowdown in the economy, you know, there will be a tipping point at some point where they'll say, okay, we're going we're gonna to take the foot off the pedal a little bit. Um, but right now, we're not at that point. But, but I think there's, you know, I think that's, there's potential for that down the road. You know, if inflation can kind of come in a little bit, maybe we start to see it tick up in some of the, you know, uh, 
initial employment unemployment claims or some of the unemployment figures start to tick up a little bit, they may say, okay, maybe we'll take a little more balanced approach. Okay. So you may also mention China. Okay. With China being essentially shut down out of the trade market for the last, what, four weeks, five weeks. Um, seems like that's starting to ease off. We're getting mixed signals. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, depending on news reports you read, yeah. <laughs> you know, we get, we'll get a report that says, yeah, China's going to... So it, it all boils down to that, you know, China still has their zero COVID policy, right? And so um, they will shut down large par- portions of cities, entire cities, you know, with just a small outbreak. And so until that, until we get, you know, official word that that's going to be relaxed, you know, but again, we're we kind of getting, we're getting mixed stories. We'll get saying, okay, China's... You know, he'll come out and give a speech and say, no, we're sticking to the, the zero COVID policy. Um, and then you'll get a story that comes out and says, oh, they may want to, re- they may relax, you know, you know, coming out in the future, but it'll be citing some unnamed source, you know. So it's hard to know really what's, what's kind of the future there because, it, I mean, it's China after all. Um, so it's a little bit hard to, to get a good read. But, um, but yes, that is, that is, you know, I think that's an underreported kind of piece to the puzzle or piece to the economy whether or not we can kind of unclog some of those supply chains in China. In the meantime, you know, we're still, you know, I think, I think, you know, backing up a little bit, you know, I think we, you know, we had years and years of kind of offshoring uh, to China and elsewhere, but largely to China. Um, I think people are now saying, you know, yes, that was good for my bottom line. um, and, and, And it's great when things run smooth, but when you get bottlenecks and you've got all your supply coming out of China, uh, Cisco can tell you that, you know, today, um, maybe we need to diversify and look other places, but that process takes time, right? That doesn't happen in, in three months. So I didn't, I didn't date this when we first started, but it is, uh, May the 19th. Um, so that just, so if you're curious as to what timing we're talking about here. So Jonathan, we were talking earlier about kind of what the market has done from January. So I just took a snapshot of year to date numbers and some of these really stood out. So from a sector standpoint, Best sector and then the worst performing sector in the market. The best one's actually up 48%. Energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and then the worst one's down 30%, which was a consumer discretionary. So what are the, I mean, that's a, such a massive swing between the two. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah. I, and I think it's reflective of what we've already been talking about, right? So energy companies, um, energy companies have been shunned for 10 plus years, you know, Oil prices, I mean, oil prices went negative during the pandemic. Uh, you had a lot of, um, with the rise of ESG investing, you've had a lot of large pools of capital shun energy companies kind of, you know, in mass. Um, and so it was kind of an unloved sector. Uh, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, and so through that, you know, being unloved, they didn't invest capital uh, into searching for new oil or new commodities, et cetera, et cetera. So we've, it's been an underinvested sector all of a sudden, you've got a, a big spurt of demand through, um, you know, with the stimulus that came through in 2020 and a recovery from COVID, um, and you've got low supply. So now you've got prices. So, so, you know, oil has moved from negative 40, you know, a couple of years ago to now, you know, 100 plus. Um, that's good for energy companies. So that's, and you've got, you know, you've had a, a capital base that has shunned them for years. And that takes time for them to kind of come around and say, oh, maybe I need some energy in my portfolio. Um, I think energy at one point energy used to be you know close to fifteen percent of the S and P five hundred. Now it's less than three. It may be back over three, but it you know got to like two and a half or high twos. 
So it's, you know, it was increasingly became just a marginal piece of the S&P. So people were underinvested. Um, and so now people are putting capital there. So, but anytime you've got, you know, in this inflationary environment and you've got the market shifting from kind of a growth mindset, technology, growth at any price, um, which was working, now you've got higher interest rates, higher inflation, some of those value sectors and energy falls in that sector um, is going to be better. And on the other end, consumer discretionary. So what does that mean? Um, what's that? <laughs> what is it? Like give, give them an example of what consumer discretionary might be. So um, that could be, any, you know, we talked about uh, Target to some extent, um, or it could be airlines. It could be, so it's, it's any sector where um, it's subject to consumers kind of discretionary spending. So there's another sector called consumer staples, which are more things that people need. So grocery stores, food, um, some of those things that people are going to buy regardless. They may, you know, they may not buy brands, but they maybe they buy the cheaper version. But they still need you still need food and power and everything else to live. Discretionary are the things that you may not need that you could maybe push off for a year or two, depending on when things happen. So um, it's more discretionary purchases. So um, so that makes sense, right? In, in in this environment where we're fearing recession, right? That's kind of the big fear. We head into a recession. Um, those stocks are going to get hit the worst because those dollars are the first to get cut, you know, when, when people are feeling tight uh, in their budgets. So, all right, people are going to stop spending money on things that they don't necessarily have to have, right, from that Potentially, discretionary side. Right. We're not right. seeing it yet, but I think that's yeah, the that, fear in the market. Right? Okay. Yeah. So the, the big six that has kind of, Taken the market uh, by the by the hand and and drug it along for the last couple of years because of the size of these companies. Can you talk to what what they're seeing? Yeah, I think you know you've had it's been a mixed bag. Um, you know, so I think in a sense they all kind of traded as a monolith during the the COVID, you know, pre COVID and and through COVID. You know, they all kind of had a nice tailwind behind them. You've seen some bifurcation in some of the results. Um, so they're still seeing healthy growth and demand, but now they're becoming a little bit more story specific. So you can't lump Facebook in with Microsoft and you can't lump Apple in with, you know, um, Google um, because they all have a little bit different dynamics. So you've seen some bifurcation in those results where Microsoft, even in Apple, have held up fairly well. Facebook's had struggles Um so you, you're starting to see that. And I think broadly speaking, you know, the large, those large tech names became, you know, a very large percentage of the S&P um, and, and frankly got to valuations that were, you know, fairly historically very rich um, and the environment turned on them. Right. So we went from a low interest rate, maybe not disinflation or maybe not deflation, but disinflation, right. Low inflation environment, low interest rates high growth in earnings, valuations expanding. So that was good for those types of stocks. That that environment has flipped on its head, right? We're in an inflationary, higher interest rates, value is working. So that, so cheaper stocks are working, things with, um, uh, you know, and so, and those become out of favor. Those, those are natural cycles, right? Those, you know, those ebb and flow over the years, growth versus value is a, kind of an age old. Um, those companies are still doing well. They still dominate their markets. They're still growing, but the, the the market's trying to find what's the right multiple to pay, you know, and so they're giving Apple a higher multiple than Facebook right now. Facebook is you know extremely cheap when you look at it, either on fresh cash flow or earnings. Um, they're they're working through some issues, but um, you know you can get 
Facebook for, you know, under, you know, right around 15 times earnings where I'm still having to pay over 30 for Apple or maybe high 20s for Apple. And now. Facebook was where before we started to see a pullback? In terms of multiple? Yeah. Uh, probably, you know, uh, it was probably in the low to mid 20s, okay. you know, at its peak. Okay. Yeah. So do you think that the growth sector, given the way it's kind of gotten beat up, is primed to bounce? Or is that, are we ready to say, yeah, let's, let's go buy that, that sector now? Or is, is, what do you think? Yeah, I think there's some good values in the space. You know, certainly anytime you get, you know, this magnitude of pullback, if you look at the NASDAQ, you know, we talked about some of those pullback numbers. The NASDAQ's pulled back 27%, 27 which is almost matches what it did in COVID, during COVID uh, shutdown. Um, so it's almost matched what it did in COVID. Um, so you've had a very sizable pullback. Um, I will say this, though, you started at a very high valuation <clears throat> level. So there still could be some adjustments there. There are specific stocks, I think, within the sector that, that are starting to look very, Facebook's one that I mentioned, um, that looks very cheap to us on a, you know, on a, on a go-forward basis, whereas some you know, still need to come down. You've seen you know, what you've seen, you know, Yes, we're in a tough market, but we've been in a bear market for some of those, you know, high growth, um, you know, lose money now, make money later type story stocks. You know, the COVID beneficiaries, the high growth software companies. I mean, you've seen a, a massive round trip and bear market in those for over a year now. Um, so the, the DocuSigns of the world, the Zooms, the um, some of the snowflakes, some of these high growth companies, um, you know, they're, you've come from you know, massively overvalued to maybe now just overly to fairly valued. So where the bottom is, I don't know, but some of the, you know, some of those may at some point start to get really interesting. Um, so, yeah, I think there's some opportunity. I still think there's, oh, broadly speaking, there's probably still some adjustment that needs to be made. We started, you know, the, the, the difference between the valuations of growth stocks and the valuations of value stocks started at a historically very wide level. Those have come in, those have started to narrow, but they're not all the way back. Um, so that adjustment period may take some time, broadly speaking. But I think there are good specific values within some of those growth names. You, know, you just have to it's – a, it's a rifle shot, not a shotgun shot at this point um, in, that, in that space. Okay. So people typically get a little bit anxious when the market does what it's done for the last six or seven months. Um, what would be your, your thoughts on reactionary – uh, items or things that people might want to be thinking about as we go through the next six months of the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, you know, these are always difficult times. Um, you know, when you get in the middle of one of these pullbacks, um, you know, fear sets in and um, the, the natural reaction is, okay, get me out, just alleviate my pain. You know, I want to get rid of the pain, you know, so, so sell and sell is kind of your natural reaction. Yeah. Um, I think that's the wrong reaction. You know, I can't tell you that we're at a bottom or maybe even near a bottom. You know, we may, you know, but I do know, you know, one, one of the things we did, we just put a piece out on this um, or going to put a piece out um, looking at historical pullbacks. So we've had uh, 38, since 1950, we've had 38 what we call corrections or bear markets. Corrections meaning pullback greater than 10%, uh, a bear market greater than 20. We have 38 those, of those since 1950. The average drawdown time was six months, um, some longer, some shorter, um, but average six months, we're you know, almost five months into ours. Um, and the average recovery time for almost 60% of those pullbacks was about three and a half months. Um, and so, you know, we're, whether this is more than average or less than average, you know, it, it's hard to say. We're still, there's still a lot of issues that we're working through. Um, but one of the things we, we wrote, you know, 
What I do know with a fact of historical accuracy, 100% of every one of those pullbacks went on to new market highs. So every one of every pullback we've seen since 1950 have eventually gone on to new market highs. So, um, you know, I would say, and so, you know, so timing the market is very difficult, you know, um, and so I would say resist the urge to time the market because it's, you know, you're, you may, maybe you get the sell call right. Maybe you got out early or maybe you're getting it now and there's another 10% to go and you go, hey, uh, you know, great, great job, me, it feels yeah. good. And yeah, I alleviated some yeah. of my pain, but you got to make two calls right when you do that. Um, you got to get the sell call right and you got to get the buy call right. Um, and getting the buy call right is very difficult. Um, and doing that consistently is very hard to do. Um, so, you know, the buy call requires you to kind of, um, you know, the perfect time to buy the market, you know, is usually the market still feels bad, right? The headlines are still bad. All the things that, that brought the market down are still in place. Um, it's just that the market's gotten to a level where it's discounting all that in. But if you're waiting for, if you're waiting to feel good, you know, <laughs> when you want to get back in, you're going to wait too long. The market's already going to move on you before that happens. You already missed it. Right. So, uh, you know, the, the right time to buy the market almost never feels like the right time to buy the market because things are still going to be seemingly bleak based on headlines and what's kind of coming out then. So, you know, buying in February of 2009, which was the perfect time to buy the market, you know, if you, if you pull up, if I pulled up a newspaper, you know, from February of 09, it wouldn't have been a fun read. Um, <laughs> but that was the perfect time to buy the market. I mean, you couldn't have picked a better time, but it didn't feel like it then. Um, so or, I would say, or March of 20. Right. I mean, pick, pick your, you know, pick your low. Yeah. Um, it's never going to feel, feel good. Um, so trying to wait till it feels good, you're, you're too late. So I would say just avoid trying to time the market. And then two, you know, as, as you know, we, we tell people look for, for, for uh, money that's put in equities, right? We have a long-term time horizon and we say 10 years. And the reason we say that is, um, you know, we want the odds to stack in our favor, right? And so, um, we went back and looked at 100 years of stock market data, and we said, okay, let's, let's pull out every rolling return period over the past 100 years. So one-year returns, five-year rolling returns, 10-year rolling returns. And what we found is, you know, on a daily basis, it's, it's no better than a coin flip of getting a positive return, right? Market might be up, market might be down, you know, uh, it's a coin flip. But as you expand out your holding period, your odds of success grow and grow and grow exponentially. So at a 10-year holding period, you have about a 95% chance of generating a positive return. And if you strip out a lot of those negative outcomes were from the Great Depression. So if you strip out the Great Depression, um, that percentage goes to 98%. Um, so, you know, for most 10-year holding periods, you had a 98% chance of, of making money um, in the market. I like those odds. So you've got to kind of, you know, I tell people when they, you know, or worried about the market and say, I don't want you to pull up any six-month charts or one-month charts. I want you to pull up 10-year-plus charts, right? Because so that's, that's the time frame we need to be looking at because if you pull up those short-term charts, you get scary, it looks bad, hey, I've lost a lot of money, but you got you to zoom out a little bit um, to, to know we're, we're, you're in this for the long term. The U.S. economy is not collapsing. Uh, companies are going to find a way. It may be an adjustment period, um, but capitalism is not dead. Companies are going to strive for profits. There's going to be new companies and innovations and all those things uh, are not, you know, going to stop. Um, and so that's ultimately what you're investing in, right? Uh, at the end of the day, you're investing in the dyna dynamic capitalism of U.S. economy or other economies. Okay. That's good detail. I like that. Um, Bree, what have we not 
uh, peppered Jonathan with thus far? I think the only thing on our like to-do list is kind of the Ukraine-Russia situation that we haven't really touched on yet. Yeah, save that for the end. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will preface it by saying I'm not a, a, a geopolitical expert, um, but I will say, you know, what that whole conflict did, um, you know, the impact it's having in the markets is, you know, it, it really poured some gasoline on an already kind of smoldering fire of inflation, right? And so um, you already had oil kind of rising, some of these commodities, and then this, this conflict starts, um, and you got oil, Russia, which is a, you know, 20% of the world's oil production, basically come off the market, you know, or at least, you know, off the, the Western world's market. Um, and so, um, and then, you know, there's other commodities that they kind of control as well. So, you know, um, Ukraine is a big wheat producer. So the economic, you know, impact, um, you know, really kind of, like I said, kind of added fuel to the fire. The, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, you know, I think one, one thing that's surprised everyone, me included, and I have a lot of invested interest with a daughter who's from Ukraine, um, is, you know, everyone expected this war to be over in three days. Oh, Russia's going to invade. You know, they're going to roll right over them. And three or four days later, we'll have some kind of, you know, Russians will take Kiev. Well, now we're what, you know, three months or more in. Yeah. Um, and it's proven a much tougher challenge than thought. So, I don't know what the end game is. Like I said, I'm not a geopolitical expert. Um, I will say, you know, it's probably some of the best analysis. You know, maybe it ends up being kind of a split country with some Ukrainian and Russian controlled areas. You know, I don't know. So um, it is something to watch, um, you know, and Putin's kind of an unpredictable character. So we don't know um, what his ultimate end game is. Um, but I think, you know, markets do adjust. Um, we've had conflicts before uh, throughout the world. You know, you can look at a long-term history of the of stock market chart and point to, you know, Iraqi invasion. And, you know, there's, there's a myriad of conflicts that happen. Um, and they're scary. And humanitarianly, you know, humanitarian-wise, they're, they're terrible. Um, but we got to kind of detach that a little bit from the economic impact. At, at the end of the day, Ukraine is not a big, um, you know, contributor to the global economy. They're still a relatively small, poor country. Um, Russia is in terms of some of the commodities. So that, that's really where the impact's being felt. Um, but I think that's being, you know, it's, none of it is new news to the market, right? Um, and, you know, the only thing that would potentially make things worse is something very irrational from Putin. But, you know, I think I don't, you know, we'll see what what happens? It's, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, but I think there's probably more potential for upside to where expectations are right now. People are expecting kind of the worst, right? You know, this is going to draw out. Russia could do something unpredictable. There's fear in the market. Um, what people aren't discounting in the market is, okay, what if something good happens? You know, I think you would see a significant bounce in the market. Um, you know, if that were to happen. Do you think that the sanctions that were placed initially, from an economic impact, do you think they've accomplished what they were trying to accomplish, or do you think that maybe maybe they haven't? I think yes and no. I think they, I think what they've done um, is completely isolate Russia from the world economic system. Right now, they've got a life support because oil's at you know one hundred ten dollars. You know, so they've got a life support system, but that can't last forever, right? Um, and you know whether. You know, slowdown in the economy brings oil down to, you know, back to something less than 110. 
um, <clears throat> you know, that will hurt them. And without that cover of, of oil prices and gas prices, and that, you know, right now they've got, they've still got the leverage of gas flowing into Europe, but that, that may not be permanent. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's made them a global pariah in the financial system that's going to take years and years if, if ever they recover in terms of, uh, you know, being able to plug back into the world economic system. Um, so I, I think it's been effective in that sense. But right now, they're, they're, they're able to kind of survive, so to speak, um, because energy prices are still fairly high. Okay. So overall, if you had to give one piece of advice in the current market, what would it be? Other than just remain calm, going to be all right. Yeah, uh, I think I've kind of, you know, touched on it, you know, uh, through the podcast. But I think, you know, stay focused on the long term. Um, you know, uh, you know, don't try to, don't try to time the market. Um, there's, you know, I tell people, I said, you know, we're not the only ones who preach not timing the market, right? There's lots of very large firms, you know, that manage lots of money and they all preach not timing the market. There's a reason for that. Um, because the firms that try to time the market don't exist anymore because <laughs> uh, it's very hard to do in the, you know, some firms may try to do it and they may have some success and then they, it blows up in their face. Um, and so there's very few firms that exist in existence today that have done it well and will come out and say, yeah, time to time the market. So there's a reason that's a truism in the market because it's true. Um, so I would say just, you know, stay calm, stay focused, um, you know, uh, stay focused on what, you know, uh, what that pool, if you're if we're invested right based on the plan that we've put in place, we've, you know, partition the you know, you've got short term stuff that we've kind of kept out of risk um, or in lower risk buckets for some things that you're going to need in the next one, two, three years. Um, the money you have over here in the market is not stuff you're going to need for one, two or three years. If you don't need it for 10 plus years, I go back to the, to the analysis before you have very high odds of getting a, a, a good return on that money over the long term. So kind of put that in your mind as that's what that money is for. I, I want to comment a little bit on that. So from a from the, the seat that I sit in on a daily basis, from a planner's perspective, I think the one thing that we come back to is how important the planning actually is when we put it in place when people are not emotional and when things are not going haywire. So I think that's one thing we'll always come back to, and people kind of get tired of hearing it, of, look, these are the goals that you told us were important. This is what you are saying you want to do. If nothing's changed, well, we're emotional now. Emotion typically makes, makes us make bad decisions. So if you can remove the emotion, which is really easier said than done, especially when the market's bouncing around like crazy and the news is telling you that you know, the sky's falling, I think that's the win, right? So shameless plug, but that's why we do what we do. Right. Yeah, I mean, Morningstar does that analysis where they say, you know, they look at the average, you know, market return has been X, you know, and then they say, what are the, what are the actual client returns? Yeah, you know, we know what the market's done, but that's assuming you stay invested. Actual client returns, when they look at actual behavior, it's less than half, maybe a third of that return because of what you just said. You know, they want to they wanna get all in when things feel good and you want to sell when things feel bad. And that's the exact wrong and thing no, you'd be doing. Nobody ever uh, calls when the market's up 30% and wants to sell. Right. 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 <laughs> they don't do that. No, no. They want to do double down. Oh, right? yeah. You know, Put more um, in. So... Part of it, and you're right. So you're exactly right. Part of our job is to try to reverse that psychology a little bit and keep people focused on the long term, um, and you know, be thinking 
maybe I shouldn't be thinking about selling now. Maybe I should be thinking about buying now. This is a great opportunity. There you you go. Know? Yeah, we're not going to time. I don't know if it today is the low or next week's the low or even a month and now is the low. But I do know we're getting better prices than we were six months ago. Uh, and we, stocks know are the, we know it's twenty percent on sale. Right. I mean, stocks are the you know we've heard this before. Stocks are the only thing that people don't like to buy on sale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if it's a car, if it's clothes, or twenty percent sale. Yeah, give me you know yeah, let me in. But stocks, no, I, I'll buy it when it's at full Isn't that price. Interesting? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I think we've hit on all the points that we had lined up. Uh, is there anything else that you can think of that we need to cover? No, I think, I think we're good. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for spending some time with us. Um, Jonathan, I appreciate you taking time out of the busy day. I know the market's getting ready to open, so you probably want to see what's going on. Um, if you have suggestions or topics or questions that you'd like for us to to cover on future episodes, you can email us directly through our website at fostervictor.com, or you can follow us on Instagram at fostervictorwealthadvisors. And on our Instagram every Wednesday, we do a weekly market update with Jonathan. So yeah. if you like what you saw in this episode, make sure to check every Wednesday. Cool. Thanks for spending time with us. Uh, Share with a friend, subscribe. Have a great day. Information contained in this podcast was intended for general use, not to be used as specific advice. For content tailored to your personal situation, please contact one of our wealth coaches.